0: If you have your Bibles, please join me in Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. Philippians 2, 14 to 16. Now remember next Sunday, uh, John Callio, my friend, and he's preached here a few times now, so please be good to him. Uh, he's he's a really good guy, works for IBSA. He's the zone consultant, and so uh, I know he'll bring a good message for you. Philippians chapter 2, 14 to 16. Now, last week we looked at letting go of the past, and I think that was a good message for New Year's, letting go of the past and pressing on to the high calling or the high mark. And that's something that really we need to do more of not just on new year's day but in our daily lives to the past can really haunt us and we've got to find a way to get that past behind us and say look this is this is where I am today in Christ and I'm going to live today uh, and I'm going to be joyful in that day and uh, so anyway let go of the past and press towards the future today and I didn't do this last week and I should have just a quick background, the, written by the Apostle Paul, Philippians, written by the Apostle Paul. It was written probably in 63 AD. Uh, it was. He wrote it from uh, prison in Rome, his first imprisonment in Rome. A key feature, joy, rejoice. I could translation, my own translation, be happy. We have so much to be happy for in Christ. We've have our sins forgiven. We're on our road to heaven and he gives us everything that we need. And so uh, maybe as we start this year, think about joy, be, be more joyful this year and count your blessings because he has given us a lot of good things. Um, the concern was in Philippians, really beyond the joy uh, motif is the idea of unity and humility. And apparently uh, the, the church at Philippi was lacking some of that. Now the context in the passage we find ourselves, the context in verse 12, uh, Paul said, "'Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling.'" And maybe one day I'll go back and preach that, but it, it, it really focuses on you've got your own race to run. And then in verse 13, he says, God's going to work through you. Focus more on your own race and encourage others in their race. And so we come to this point, I think, in Philippians, where Paul talks about complaining. And that's within the, the context of the body of Christ. And then secondly, what that looks like outside the church doors. I got a really fascinating sermon today, I think, and I guess if I'm not excited about the sermon, then it's probably not going to preach well. But uh, let's look at, first of all, don't complain about things. Doesn't mean that we don't have complaints, but a pervasive attitude of constantly complaining. And uh, Paul says here, do not complain about things. Do all things, this is verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. So do all things. And he's going to apply this to verses 15 and 16 as well. Do all things, whether it's in the church, whether it's outside the church, because when we're outside the church, it can affect the gospel message. I've been doing a, a generation study and uh, what's taking place in our culture. Uh, I was looking yesterday at Gen X. Uh, Gen X is uh, actually attending more than my group. I'm called the Baby Boomer 2. There's a Baby Boomer 1. I didn't realize all this until I started looking at it. But actually, the millennials are attending church more. That's Holly's age, Chris's age. Mike and Tammy, Nola, they're attending more than the boomers, my generation, which is scary because we're the best generation right (laughs) yeah um but the gen x is really difficult to reach because they are questioning the gospel message one of the things in my research over the last few days that i've been able to look at and and i'll get into this when i get back a little more uh, is that Gen X is more concerned with actions rather than statements. So in other words, when, you, when they hear the word Christian, they go, those Christians don't live what they believe, and therefore there's a disconnect. And so uh, in the church, we don't complain and out there we don't complain, do all things without complaining because they're listening. And we're talking about those that were born later, I think it cuts off at uh, 2012. Uh, but that, that generation, that young generation, they're heavy into social media. I've even started thinking about maybe doing more on the social platforms. But anyway, he says, do all things without grumbling, gong ganymos which means complaining. Now it may seem rather simple. One of the the Jewish writers that I study here, uh, Silva writes this, it is most interesting, surely not a coincidence that other passages where Paul uses the experience of the Israelites in the wilderness as an example to motivate proper Christian behavior is 1 Corinthians 10, 1 to 13. That is when writing to a church plagued with dissension. If we go back and we look at, and Paul connects this uh, in uh, Corinthians, if we go back and we look at the Israelites, and this is where the word derives from complaining, uh, you read this, then Moses, this is Exodus 15, then Moses said to, uh, made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. So Moses is leading the nation of Israel and they've they've been in the wilderness for three days. They cannot find water. They went three days, found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water because the water was uh, bitter. And that's when they named it Marah because the water was bitter. When they did that, they complained against Moses. Complaining can really hurt a church. And it doesn't mean we don't have legitimate complaints. But what Paul is talking about here is a constant complaint. Lady in my first church, I'll be honest with you, every time I saw her I went the other direction. Because everything was negative. Everything was bad. Everything had problems. And thankfully we don't have that here. We don't have that here. But I've seen it in a full scale where <laughs> honestly when I'd see her I'd kind of back up and try to get away from her. But she would she would find me. She would find me and talk bad about the church. Think of it this way. If you're talking bad about the church here and you go outside the church doors, it can become problematic when you're particularly trying to grow a church. So he says don't complain. Robert Leitner writes this, complaining is the translation of a word which reflects a bad attitude. So it, it's, it's, it's not, okay, well, and I, people talk to me and they send me emails and I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. But this is when it becomes, when it crosses over and becomes a bad attitude, where it's pervasive, it's always negative. And Paul says, you, you can't do that. Please don't do that. And uh, then he says, or questioning. Uh, That's what the ESV says. I'm not uh, fond of that translation or questioning uh, because, and I'll get into the word in a a minute, uh, I think there are some things we can question. And so when the ESV translators did this, again, the New American Standard Bible writes arguments the NIV talks about arguing and the new century version which i like that the best means without disputing uh, i i i go back to when i was in korea in a tunnel in taegu on a special exercise there were i uh, there was two captains and uh you, we were working 12 on 12 off we'd get on a bus go back get on a bus come in it was at that time at a top secret clearance so um, these two captains one from the Air Force one from the Army and there was two sergeants me and the other guy and we were getting conflicting messages and they just constantly and I was like oh boy here we go again and the Air Force captain said you need to do this and I'd say sir I'm, I'm with the Army and so I have to default to the Army captain and they just constantly it was constant great work environment. And so when we have this issue in the church, and this word um, dialogismos, dialogismos means to think or reason with thoroughness and completeness. So oftentimes when we start a dispute in the church, if we were just to take it down a minute, think about our thoughts and then express them in a logical way. A lot of the arguing and bickering in churches in America would cease to exist because what normally happens is one person states their point very strongly and the next person uh, responds very strongly and then you start escalating and you get into big fights. Uh, I, I like the cartoon Where the board's sitting around the table and everybody's banged up, and one guy's got a black eye and one guy's got his arm wrapped up, and he said, "So it's agreed, we're going to paint the walls white, right?" So, yeah, uh, you just got to watch it. You got to be careful. So Paul's wanting this because not only is the ministry at stake, but the gospel is at stake and if they see this pervasive attitude in the culture and you claim to be a believer but you have this pervasive attitude of negativity and everything's bad and it's horrible that paints the wrong picture of the gospel and so we got to be careful with it I mean all of us Uh, myself included we need to be careful with this then he uh, goes into what I call the the challenge so uh, the challenge so if you blow it in here you can blow it out there and it does make a difference it is critical that you may be blameless and again I think he's talking here about the church setting and obviously we'll make a shift to the culture. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God. And that's what we are. We're children of God. Uh, amentos is the word blameless and it pertains to being without fault. Let me, question, let me stop here for a minute. That does not mean you're going to be perfect. That's this side of heaven, very, very, very difficult to do. But it does mean that somebody can't look at you and say this, 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 and this. That means that we work hard to get to the plate, a place where we're not making as many blunders, and that people don't have to a, have a say, well, look, every time you come to work, Every time you're in here, it's negative, negative, negative. You're always complaining. And I saw this in, in, in the army, and I would tell my guys, just knock it off. When you come to work, you do your job, and you go home. And you try to represent, at least in my mind, you represent Christ. It does not mean perfection, but it does mean that we try to live in such a way where people can't continually fault us, because it does, it really does affect the gospel message. This is a good verse for us to remember, Romans 12, 18, and 20. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. When your convictions are compromised, I would say you have to stand up. But in other cases, it may be better just to try to keep the peace. And another thing to add here, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. So Paul is addressing here a very important issue. Innocent, archaios, that's a hard one to say, archaios. And that means without a mixture of evil. So finding fault, you want to try to cut those down. But then this innocent is that you shouldn't have a mixture of evil. I'm going to tell you a true story. Happened in my first full-time church. I've probably told you again, or not again, but I've told you before. Um, there, there was a deacon in my first church. Wow. Wow. Um, <clears throat> On a Wednesday night, I was teaching through Solomon's writings, and I came to the text where Solomon says, do not be excessively evil. This deacon, who had been a long time in the church, in fact, there was a family that was heavily in that church. He came up to me after the teaching, and he leaned up against me, and he said, pastor, you remember that verse? gave me the verse and I looked at it and said do not be excessively evil he looks at me with a straight face and says how evil can I be to me that spoke volumes of where he was in his Christian walk no Christian no Christian should ever ask how evil can I be he says here You're to be innocent without a mixture of evil. And uh, I just found that extremely, extremely over the top. Of course, that was the same church where I had a deacon that believed God doesn't answer prayers. And uh, just, wow. And uh, (laughs) innocent without blemish. And that means without defect. Defect. Marvin Vincent in his word studies said the word of uh, the word is of two preceding descriptions unblemished in reputation and in reality so in other words here's here's what Paul's saying when you live in the church work on your reputation how do you want to be identified? Do you want to be identified as a troublemaker, or do you want to be identified as somebody that will work well within the congregation? And I said, we don't have that here, and I'm very grateful for that. But that doesn't mean that we can't, I can't preach to the choir. And this is a good message for starting the new year to, to get moving. Now, here is where it becomes critical. So we're not to complain. Here's where it becomes critical. It becomes critical to be a good witness. So we work and play together good here, and then we go out into the culture. I love this part of the sermon. This is, this is a fun one. Now he says, in the midst, verse 15b, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, Scolios, that word crooked, scolios, it has uh, really two basic meanings. And I can give you the one meaning where the root word, uh, where we get our word from is scolios, scoliosis, uh, curvature of the spine. And so what the Apostle Paul is saying here is the world is bent, that the world in which we live and look at what is taking place in our culture today. It seems like everything is bent. And he says here, in the midst of a crooked, which also this word, skolios, in the Greek, not only means, and Paul was referencing here, a medical condition, but also this idea anything that deviates from moral or ethical standards. <laughs> And I know this is going on YouTube, but transgender surgeries with children, that's child abuse. And all the other stuff that's taking place in our culture, it's like everything is upside down. And guess what? That's where we live today. We live in that culture. I never thought I would see a day ever in America where the where we have the deterioration of the family. Two men can have a child. Two women can have a child. This this is totally totally perverse. And the stuff that is just snowballing in our culture and yet guess what brothers and sisters that's where we live so how we act here and go outside to a crooked and twisted generation really will have a uh, an effect and and this um, diastropho diastropho means twisted and it means to deviate from standard norms. And um, one of the things about the, uh, it's called the uh, post-war era, which actually goes from 1929 to 1945. Uh, That generation, one of their hallmarks was that they held to traditional family values. And of course, each generation that has come behind that and, and, and by the way, that, that generation was frugal financially. In other words, they would rather fix something than buy something new. Well, today we would say, well, that's just cheap. Well, because they went through the war and they, they went through the Great Depression, of course they would have that mindset. And I'm talking about my grandmother who passed away in 20, uh, 2006. But we live in a totally different culture. We cannot do ministry the way that we did in 1950. It does not work. The ministry has to match the culture. It doesn't mean that we invite the culture in, but we have to change the way that we do things. We have to look at the culture and say, what, does, what will this culture respond to? And I can tell you this, people are still getting saved. I don't care if they're a Gen W. People are still getting saved, as we go out into the world and as we share the gospel, the, uh, look, and I've seen the, tr- the trends down in church, but I'm going to tell you, I believe this. There is still power in the name of Jesus. There is still power in the name of Jesus, and it can cut through generational gaps. And when the person realizes that they're a sinner in need of a Savior, you have the great opportunity to lead them to Christ. And he says here, this is the area, this is the place in which we live. And yeah, you know what? Honestly, if I could, but I got to let go of the past. If I could, I'd like to go back to the 50s and do church. But this is 2024. And so we have to be very careful, at least from that generation that's out there now, the young ones, by the way, they are on their phones constantly. That was one of the characteristics. They're on TikTok. They're, I, don't, I don't even know what TikTok, I mean, I've seen advertisements for TikTok, but, uh, but their big complaint with Christians is we don't see them living it so we got to be careful we got to be careful and this is the culture in which we live you know and there's really nothing new under the sun probably back in the day um, they were saying how radical the culture was in the 50s I'm sure but it's nothing like today and it's so easy for us to migrate away from what we believe and we've got to hold that line and we have to share the gospel with them Now this is the part that I like. Among you, among whom you shine as lights in the world. This is an astronomy metaphor. Wheelhouse, I like this. Um, By the way, as we look at our culture, we have to make sure that we have a proper perspective. And then he says here that whom you shine like stars. This is the Andromeda galaxy. Messier M31 was named after a French astronomer, uh, Charles Messier. He cataloged 110, this is back in the 1700s. He cataloged 110 nebula and star clusters and stars. And it's still used today, by the way. If I go to my telescope, I can Punch these numbers in and a telescope will go there. Now what's interesting about the M31 when you compare it to say the Milky Way you know the Milky Way has 300 billion stars. I I actually took a when Levi and I went through a, a class together I actually took the picture of the Milky Way you can see it uh, you have to take four-minute video with the Nightscape on your iPhone, and you have to hold it perfectly still. So it's best to do that with a with a tripod. Um, Three hundred billion stars in the Milky Way in our solar system. Are you, are you ready for this? This right here. Over one trillion stars. In the Andromeda galaxy, and you can actually see the Andromeda galaxy. You know, when you go out on an average night, um, this is a, a this is a new. Audrey got me this for Christmas. It's a, a Star Guider. It's an 18 mil, um, and it's extra low dispersion. was what the EDs for extra low dispersion. When you go out, and the first clear night we get, it seems like it's never going to be clear again, but uh, if you go out and you look up at the stars, you're going to see a tapestry of stars, maybe hit and miss. When you set up a telescope and you look through an 18 mil, do you know what you see? Hundreds of extra stars that were not visible by the naked eye. You can even use a 25 mil, look through it, and you go, whoa, all of those around. And by the way, this, uh, the lower the number, the more the, the more the magnification, but you lose out here. This is the point I want to make, that what would happen if the church lived like the church in the world? There's some people that hide their Christian faith and you can only find it through this. Through high magnification. And Paul says, you shine like stars in the universe. That's us. God wants us to shine in this world and share the gospel. Richard Melnick, in his commentary, the second metaphor comes from astronomy. He agreed with me. The Philippians, with their unblemished moral character, shone like stars in the universe. Even with their imperfections, nobody in here is perfect, including me. Even with their imperfections, they were the light of the world to those in darkness. We have to be able to let our light shine. And by the way, this is not something new. Our Lord and Savior said this in Matthew 5.16, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We have to be out there shining the light of the gospel. We shouldn't be hidden and can only be found when you're looking through a microscope. Quite, quite good. That's the witness part, that we need to be about shining in the world. And it really starts, and this is what I use in a sports metaphor, this is the locker room where we get built up to go out and play the second half of the game, which I think we're in the second half. Hebrews says, in these last days, we're definitely in some portion of the latter part before Christ comes. That's definite. But that gives us the ability to go out and shine and to share the good news. And I don't care what generation it is, people are still being saved by the power of the, of the gospel. And it's still relevant. And so, then he talks about the word. That's the world. The world is crooked, but we're going to shine our light before men that they may see our good deeds and glorify the Father. Holding fast to the word of life. This has perplexed theologians for a long time. And it depends on who you read. (laughs) There's basically two interpretations. Let me kind of go through this. Holding fast refers to... uh, That's not the one they have trouble with. It's it's the next one. Uh, Holding fast means that you're focused... On something that it really is like a holding fast, you're focused on one particular issue. And it can also mean to make an offer. And this is where I think I get the clarification for what I'm getting ready to say. The word of life is Logos zoe. Logos" meaning "word, and Zoe" meaning to be alive. Now, some interpret this to mean the Bible. The Bible is living, it's active, it pierces to the very core of our existence. But then I think because this word, this, this holding fast can mean an offer, it could be referring to Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus said in John 11, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, and even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. That's the good news of the gospel. The gospel is that when we trust in Jesus Christ, our life is radically changed. It is radically changed. You may not notice the change for a while. It took me a while as a young believer to find my footing and to learn everything I could about the gospel and about the church and about salvation and these big $15 words called sanctification. It took me a long time, but it took root. It took root. And now today more than ever I realize... How much people need Jesus because they're in darkness and they are in a culture that is perverse, that is anti-God, anti-Christian, and we have to live there. And even in Paul's day in Rome, it was bad. I think there's a lot of parallels between Paul's days in Rome under Nero And what's happening in our culture today, it's just now it's publicized more. Everybody knows more about it. And by the way, there's nothing new under the sun. There was a decline of the culture back during the time of Nero, a decline of the family, if you will. And then he closes with this. So that in the day of Christ... That is when Jesus comes back and there's coming a day when he, when he comes back. Aren't we all happy about that? Uh, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor or in vain. Paul's big concern was when he sees Jesus, He wanted to teach them in such a way that they wouldn't cause problems in the church and they wouldn't cause problems as they were living for Christ. That's what the sermon really is. It's an inward look and an outward look. We're in here, we love each other, we play together well, and then we go out in a world that is, listen, The world today is desperate for Jesus Christ and the gospel. And so we have to be out there in this crooked and perverse generation, and we still have to shine like stars so that people can see the light of the gospel and they become saved. Kenneth Woost wrote this. If the Philippians would continue to hold forth the word, Paul would have grounds for glorying in what the when the Lord comes for his saints. He would not have to run. He would not have to run his Christian race in vain. Nor would he have bestowed exhausting labor on the Philippians in vain. As we think about this sermon, this is the closing for the most part have a good attitude be joyful this afternoon count your blessings you'll you'll find that there's quite a few of them and we've been so blessed that we should be joyful don't respond to people in anger if you have to step back a little bit and just say you know I'm going, re- I'm going to think this through, and then I'm going to give a reasoned response. Uh, and don't, don't escalate. It's easy to do. It's easy to get things out of control. Uh, tell people about Jesus. You know, that's the fastest church growth principle you can possibly do is tell people about Jesus. I'm going to tell you something. You guys and gals you have within you the power of the gospel and as you go out some will listen some won't but as you tell others and as you live the christian life where they can't go you know what you talk about jesus but you cheat here at work you do all this stuff you're trying to get a a, i don't want to hear anything about your gospel message that's where it hurts the kingdom live Try to live for Christ. You're not always going to do it. I realize that. Nobody's perfect. But don't don't live in such a way as you're going, are you sure? Shine. Shine to a world that desperately needs to know.